So this morning's scripture readings are from Ephesians 4.29 and assorted proverbs about listening. They will be displayed behind me on the screen. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who listen. Now from Proverbs. If one gives an answer before he listens, it, it is his folly and shame. A false witness will perish, but the word of a man who listens will endure. If one turns away from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. My child, listen and be wise. Direct your heart on the right course. This is God's word. So God gave his people the law to help them know what's right and what's wrong. He gave them the prophets to know the difference between the two and the consequences for either obeying or disobeying. There'd be blessings for obeying, there'd be curses for disobeying. But sometimes life isn't so black and white. And thankfully, God knew this for his people. And so he gave them the book of Proverbs to help them make great decisions in the gray of life. And so that's what we have. That's what we've been exploring for the past number of months, Proverbs about relationships, Proverbs about wealth, Proverbs about work, and Proverbs about words. And that's specifically what we've been doing in October is looking about Proverbs about words. And this is the last in that series this morning. We said there's this compact sentence in the New Testament that beautifully summarizes how we're supposed to communicate. And it's Ephesians 4.29, right? It talks about no corrupting talk, words that give grace, words that fit the occasion. And all of these things are for those who listen. Ultimately, all this good advice, all this wisdom helps if we are people who listen. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you're an auditory learner, you likely use your phone to listen to content and that means you figured out a little secret, a shortcut on your phone for listening to things, uh, specifically listening at two times speed, a 2x speed, all right? Books on Audible, podcasts, uh, class lectures, TED Talks, all of which can be listened at a faster speed than the person actually speaking on the audio recording is speaking, right? So two times speed, for example, and the reason this has become a trend, pushing that little button that says two times speed on it. It's become a trend the last three, four, five years is because the average human being can actually talk at a rate of 105 words per minute, but he or she can listen at a rate of 210 words per minute, nearly double, nearly double. So we are psychologically, physiologically better equipped to be listeners than we are talkers. So that describes all of us, right? Let's take a test here on that. Let's try it out. I'm going to give you a series of directions, all right? I'm going to give you a series of directions, and you're going to follow them, hopefully. Ready? Write your initials. Now, let me finish all of them first. Write your initials on the third to final page of the Bible underneath your seat. I gave you permission to do this. Touch one leg of the chair in front of you. Tell the person next to you the following. The third word of our church's mission statement. Should be fine. I just mentioned it a second ago, very slowly. The name of the rival high school where you attended. The fifth and eighth 
letter of the alphabet. Ready? <laughs> Set? Go. <laughs> So, raise your hand if you wrote your initials on the third to final page of the Bible underneath your seat. Raise your hand if you're able to do that. Okay, good start. Keep your hands raised, please. Keep your hands raised. Continue to keep them raised if you touched one leg of this chair in front of you. All right, good stuff. Continue to keep them raised if you're able to mention the third word of our church's mission statement. All right, okay. Keep them, keep them raised, keep them raised. That word, by the way, is flourish. Flourish. All right, all right, good try. All right, if you said Jesus, good, good guess. But uh, Keep them raised if you mention the, na uh, mention the name of a rival high school you attended. You mentioned the fifth and eighth letter of the alphabet next to someone next to you. It looks the, hap the happy couple and uh, pregnant couple get uh, a, couple, a couple of prizes, the first of which is uh, the reason for God, Tim Keller. Yeah, you didn't know there were prizes. Maybe you would have listened. I don't know. The second of which is a book called The Listening Life, The Listening Life by Adam McHugh. I want to show this. And specifically because this book, if you could hand it to the Oversets, both of them, the, the youngers. Uh, sorry, guys. Um, and this book in particular has been instrumental in uh, instrumental resource in my thinking about listening. And in fact, more than any other uh, uh, sort of talk in our Proverbs series, this one probably had the most impact on me because of, of this resource. If we're two times better equipped to listen rather than to speak, why do we just have, you know, three people at the end, right? Why, why, why do so few of us drop our hands after the first two directions? Why does it happen? The reality is we speak in volumes, we listen in snippets. That's the reality. No doubt there are influences on this, right? The pervasive use of technology has certainly become a contributing factor in our inability to listen. A few weeks ago, I mentioned how um, uh, due to the pandemic in 2020, in that year alone, the average American started spending one less hour, almost one less full hour of faith time interacting with others and instead shifted that towards screen time of some kind. It was 320 hours per year more towards screen time, almost an hour a day. This alone is a major factor in what technology writer Linda Stone called continuous partial attention. In other words, most Americans now have ADD, <laughs> like I do. 
A few of you, some of you, will put all the blame, of course, on social media. I have one friend in particular who's here who likes to blame social media for everything. He knows who he is. I love him. I'm looking right at him. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But anyway, social media is a contributing factor. But this problem, partial listening is a problem as old as time. The most frequently voiced complaint, did you know this in the entire Bible, the most frequently voiced complaint is that people don't listen. My people don't listen. This is an almost exclusionary, exclusively auditory society back there in the Bible, right? Jesus didn't use PowerPoints. He didn't make memes to make his point, right? I wish he did. It'd be kind of funny if he dropped one of those every once in a while, but he didn't. Listening ultimately is influenced by some things, but comes down to a matter of the heart. It's a matter of motivation, a matter of want to, a matter of the heart. Now, we're going to address that later. And I say later because, interestingly, Proverbs doesn't approach listening from that angle as being a matter of the heart. It, it, it does something different. It's diagnostic about listening. So we all know, uh, those of you who live in Petaluma, that the Kaiser campus in Petaluma is massive. The Kaiser uh, uh, Permanente campus is a massive one down there on Lakeville. So I wanted to kind of, I was kind of curious about it, its culture. And so I asked a nurse one time there, um, so tell me a little bit about who is like the most underappreciated group here on this massive campus. She interestingly said the people who do the blood work. She said, my opinion is the people who do the blood work. They, think about it. They don't administer medicine. They don't, they don't fix you up through surgery. They don't do any post-op care. They just poke you. <laughs> And sometime later, you find out what's working inside your body and what's not working, right? And they don't get to, to see anything except your pain. And that's what Proverbs does with regard to listening. It's diagnostic, so that's what I'm going to preach. It answers, how will I know that I'm really listening to others? How will I know that my listening is working? And how will I know that I'm really listening to God? That's the two questions we'll address this morning. So first, how will I know that I'm really listening to others? That when I'm with others, my listening is actually working. It's helping them, right? So Proverbs 18, 13, as Molly Rez says, if one gives an answer before he listens, it is his folly and his shame. When a doctor found polyps on her vocal cords, he insisted a Rea Zakich be silent for several months. So she wrote what she wanted to say to her family and to her friends on note cards. Often, when she wrote it out in black and white and saw it there, she discarded, realizing what she actually had to say was pretty foolish. One day, her son returned home from school, quite angry, complaining about his teacher, threatening never to go back to school, like if any of you have had kids, they will eventually do. I'm never going back there. She said before her vocal cord problem, she said, quote, I would have interrupted him with abrupt advice. I would have tried to change his mind right away, and that would have been foolish. That afternoon, I was forced to wait, listen to see what would happen. And in a few moments, my angry son put his head on my lap, and he poured out his heart about what he was really feeling. So she continued to write on cards, but this time her words changed. She started to write down more prompts and questions to help her be a better listener. Questions like, or prompts like, share something that you fear. And when she shared that with her husband, he said this to her boys. He said, with your mother ill, I worry what will become of us. I don't know if I'm going to be able to take care of you boys on my own. 
it was an emotion that she never heard from her husband because she never prompted and never listened. Actually, interestingly enough, these cards that Rhea created grew into a game called the Ungame, since which four million of these have been sold just by writing out cards to be a better listener. The most hopeful way to actively listen to people is with questions, with prompts, right? Now, there are lots of these, and uh, in his book, The Listening Life, Adam McHugh gives a number of them, but I think the most helpful of which is tell me more about that. Tell me more. If there's one thing you can help people with, come to you and start sharing about their lives and their circumstances, and you really want to unlock what's in their heart and make them feel heard, give them one prompt. Tell me more. Tell me more. I think that's the best way to serve people in this generation. It's not necessarily washing their feet as Jesus did in his generation. It's listening to them. It's saying, tell me more about that. Let me hear more about what's going on in your life. When we interrupt people, it's just foolishness to say what we have to say, right? Proverbs 18, 13, if one gives an answer before he listens, it's not only his folly, as Rhea discovered, it's also his shame. The irony is the person who interrupts thinks he has something to say, thinks he has something wise, and the other person is foolish. And the proverb says, actually, <laughs> it's the other way around. The word shame is an interesting word to use here. Shame implies that a person interrupting is cut off from community because shame is a, is a sin against community. They're cut off, at least from genuine community. In other words, the person who interrupts with advice exists in their own kind of bubble, but they don't actually know it. If you find yourself in a position where you feel like you always have something to say to others, but they don't really have much to teach you. Friends, the, what this proverb is saying is actually, you're the fool. You're the fool. So to summarize this, I'm probably not really listening. My listening isn't working if I think, I give good advice, and that's why people approach me. If you think you're wise, the Apostle Paul actually says, you're a fool. <laughs> Uh, if you think people are coming to you for good advice or not, very few people initially approach anyone for advice. And trust me, I'm a pastor. I should be in a position to think that's the case. They don't approach people for advice. They approach people in order to be listened to. That's what people ultimately want. And that's what we can give them. Proverbs 21, 28 says, A false witness will perish, but the word of a man who listens will endure. When I first became interested in overseas missions when I was in college, uh, I, I became part of this organization on a short-term basis for a summer, and this organization brought in a missionary from Japan. And this missionary gave us an illustration. He had this cup, and he filled this cup up to the brim. It was filled up to the brim. And he said, he said, like most people, the Japanese with whom I work, are, uh, their lives are very full. They're very busy. And if you try to pour water in a cup that's already full, what's going to happen? It's going to spill out, right? It spills on the floor. So he said, when we take time to listen, we provide space. We allow them to spill out some of their life. Now there's capacity for your word to last with them, for them to receive it into their life because you've listened, because you've allowed them to pour their life out into yours. Friends, I encourage you, let the person in front of you, first pour out their cup before pouring into them. 
when, when, when someone listens to me, when they know the facts of my situation, the background of my story, when they're thoughtful enough to weigh their words or humble enough, when you're humble enough to know that you aren't God and you don't have all the right advice, your word just might stick with me. What you eventually say might stick with me because you've listened. So another way you can know that you're really listening to others is if your word endures with them. It lasts with them. It sticks with them. And that's mostly likely going to happen because you first allow them to pour out their cup to you. Then there's room for, them, for you to pour into them. That's how we know we, we're really effectively listening to others. Now, how will I know that I'm really listening to God? This is a tough one. Proverbs 28 verse 9 says, if, if one turns away from hearing the law, the word of God, even his prayer is an abomination. Now, this is simply a way of saying God desires to have a two-way relationship with you. He doesn't want the one-way genie, right? That too often we, we beg God to grant our wishes without hearing from him what he wishes for us. That actually inform what we really want, what we really wish in life. Instead, we go get to God in desperation. God is always speaking. Do you know this? He's always speaking. The troubling, sometimes terrifying thing is that we don't want to admit out loud is what if I'm not hearing him? What if the problem's me? And so we sometimes say, well, he doesn't really speak that much. That's what we tell ourselves. The reality is he speaks through his word. He speaks through other people specifically his church. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through his creation. Even the rocks cry out. In fact, sometimes it's nice to go out into creation because we don't, we don't want to hear preaching on a Sunday morning. We can go outside and watch creation preach and listen to creation preach, right? Because creation never stops. These are some ways that God speaks to us. He speaks by faith through the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't close us from hearing God's voice through these different avenues, but rather it attunes us to recognize God's voice when he does speak, right? So in this way, God's word acts as a kind of tuning fork to help us know when it is in fact God speaking to us. We can filter it through his words. I will share with you just briefly what this looks like in my life, just as one example among many. So I personally use a, uh, I use a read the Bible in, a, in two years, program. I don't like to do the one-year thing. I end up skipping over stuff. So I read whatever that is for the morning, whatever that program has for me, and then I journal. I try to write down a personal response I might have to God's Word, questions that might come from it, or what I sense God might be saying through it, or what that day. Then I put my pen down. I sit up straight, feet on the floor, palms up, set a timer to five minutes, I breathe deeply and I remain silent for five minutes. And all kinds of things surface to my mind and heart. And as they do, I kind of take note of what's coming to my, what's, what's, what's bubbling up to the surface. Often it's things that I care about more than I care about God or worries that I need to pray through. If it's really serious, I'll write it down on a piece of paper to get to it later so that I can go back, palms up, listening to God in silence. And it is a hard thing to do. <laughs> But friends, God really does speak. I'll encourage you, if you want to try to do this, start slow. Take just two or three minutes 
in our waiting rooms on Wednesday night. We get together, we, we discuss things and we pray. And I know one of the hardest things we do, but we do it every Wednesday, is to take two minutes at the end in silence to wait on God and say, Lord, I'm your servant. Please speak to me. Your servant's listening. And it's silent. And it's uncomfortable. That's where God speaks, usually in that discomfort of silence. Proverbs 23, verse 19 says, My child, listen and be wise. Direct your heart on the right course. Now, in Hebrew, that last phrase literally reads, Make your heart take strides. Make your heart actually take strides. Make it get out and walk, or as I apply it, make, make your heart walk the walk. Make it obey, make it do something. Now, the word obedience or obey comes from actually the word listen. You may or may not know this, whether it's in Latin from which it comes from or Greek from which we get the New Testament. Listening is inextricably linked to obedience and vice versa. In fact, the word we translate into English as obedience literally means to listen from below. Listening from below. A posture of taking orders, of receiving, recognizing, I don't know what's best for me in my life. I'm going to receive it from someone who's bigger and stronger and wiser and more trustworthy than even me. Listening from below. As one seminary professor, a guy named Howard Hendricks, once said, uh, biblically speaking, to hear and to not do is not really hearing at all. So another way, so I'm really listening to God when I'm interacting with what he's saying in his word, and I'm really listening to God when, I'm, when hearing and doing increasingly look like the same thing in my life. That makes sense? They, they sort of come together. Hearing and doing increasingly look like the same in my life. That's how I know I'm listening to God. Now, I promised before I ended this morning that I would address how listening is ultimately a matter of motivation, of want to, a matter of the heart. We began our service by reading from a couple psalms. I don't know if you noticed that. Psalm 31 and 86 both of which begin with this scandalous little line, you said it out loud with me, that ask God to literally bow down your ear to me. Did you hear that before? I don't know if you remember that. Bow down your ear to me. Now think about that concept. You were asking the psalmists, they're encouraging us to even pray this, asking the holy, majestic, mighty, awesome God, bow down your ear to me. Puny. Sinning, struggling, rebellious Ryan. That's kind of crazy. And yet, somehow, for some reason, that's exactly what God does for us in Jesus Christ. He bends down to meet with us by sending his son. Though he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to hold on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very likeness of a servant being born as a man. And when he did that, you would think the way Jesus would, would act. You would imagine all the things Jesus said, could have said as God of the universe, eternal. He, I would think he'd say, hey, numbskulls, listen to me. Listen to what I got to say. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm God. You're not. Do what I command. Behold my, my authority, my wisdom. And instead... More than anything, Jesus listens. Jesus listens. Though he's God and he knows what every person needs, he still asks them. Do you know this? The four biographies of Jesus' life record 339 questions that Jesus asks. 
339 questions. Jesus says, I want to hear from you. I want to listen to you. Even though I know what you need, I want to hear you say it. I want to hear you say what's deep down in there. In Mark 10, where in two consecutive occasions, Jesus asked the person, hey, what do you want me to do for you? On one occasion, the disciples are arguing about who should be Jesus' wingman in heaven. He knows what they're saying, but he asks them anyway. Hey, guys, what do you want me to do for you? In the very next moment, he sees a man blind on the side of the road, a man named Bartimaeus, calls out to Jesus. It's obvious what this man needs. He's blind. He needs a sight. Even though it's so obvious, he asks this man, what do you want me to do for you? I want to hear you say it. Whether it is selfish requests or clear desperation, Jesus bows down his ear to us. He listens and listens and listens to the point that it costs him his life. Like a lamb led before the slaughter, so he not opened his mouth. He listened till the end, and it cost him everything. So this morning, if you remember nothing else this morning, anything I've said, remember this. This is our, our message in a nutshell. Bow down your ear. Bow down your ear. Even though your mouth will feel forever more effective, and some of you know this. Some of you out there feel this. You're like, I can fix this with my mouth. I can change this by what I say. It's going to always feel more effective. Bow down your ear. In fact, I wanted to really drive home this image of an ear bowing down so much, so I had someone illustrate this posture for us. All right? And if you can't see, it's an illustration of an ear with arms and legs bowing down. I want you to get this picture into your head. Sear it in there. I want to literally illustrate this because I want to, all of us have had the experience of looking for someone because we wanted to talk to them about something, something we needed, something we needed to say to them, whatever. And you walk into the room or you walk into the church, wherever it might be, and that person's praying or that person's reading their Bible. They're in some posture of worship. And all of a sudden, you can't say anything, right? It's like the one time you can't interrupt someone as if they're praying, as if they're worshiping, right? So a couple of weeks ago, we have our waiting rooms on Wednesday night. Mistake in my preparations, warn each of the of the waiting rooms about this mistake, and so I go into one of them, and a dear brother, a dear brother, a soft-spoken, meek, wonderful, humble brother, was sharing something personal about a relationship, and everything in me wanted to speak, right, to, to move, to, to to fix this what I what I made wrong efficiently, and say something, but how can I interrupt a moment of worship? when someone's humbly bowing down, right? I just encourage you, remember this image every time your mouth is tempted to interrupt your ear. My mouth believes it's the most effective health. My mouth so badly wants to fix things, thinks it can. My mouth needs to look at the ear and say, no, right now the ear is bowing down. I won't interrupt what's done in reverence, what's done in humility. Friends, look to Jesus who made it his posture to bow down his ear to us. And we can respond and do likewise to others and to him. I want to close by telling you about a man named uh, Don Ritchie. I was reading about him years ago. He lives in this place called The Gap. It's an ocean cliff near Sydney, Australia. The Gap's an, an infamous place, sadly. It's a place where approximately 50 persons per year go to commit suicide. Now, Don goes there every day. This man goes there every day 
sets up his chair there. And when folks come by, Don says with a smile, as they, after they walk to the edge of the cliff, they look down at the ways below, obviously contemplating their life. He says, hey, would you consider coming and having a cup of tea with me? And he invites them into his nearby house, and he listens. Doesn't counsel them, doesn't offer advice. He says, man, tell me a little about yourself. And they share. Don has saved 160 people simply by bowing down his ear and listening. Let's pray. Father, I just confess in my own heart and to, to my brothers and sisters here, to everyone here, how I feel specifically as a preacher, but just as a communicator, how I can fix things with my mouth. But that is foolishness. So often my interruptions are just uh, making things worse. <laughs> Father, help all of us bow down the ear, not just because we should, because it's the right thing to do, but in response to what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. You bent down to hear us. When we cried out in need of a Savior, you responded by sending Jesus who modeled this on earth, who listened to the point of death, and like a lamb led to the slaughter, so he not opened his mouth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for showing us the way. Please empower us through your loving example, humble example, to also bow down our ears to others and to you every day of our lives. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen.